Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. And today on the podcast, we're wrapping up our series on the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be talking about discernment. Now, just a little note on this. We do a kind of an exercise toward the end of this message. And uh, I've kind of edited that out just for those of you who are listening. It took probably six or seven minutes during our service. But uh, so there'll be a brief pause there, but not quite like in the service. But just so you know that that's going on. Uh, some really, I, I really believe this is very important stuff for us these days. Um, we need to have people who can discern the spirit. So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. In the charismatic church, um, if for those of you who've grown up around charismatic or Pentecostal churches, oftentimes the emphasis is on what the spirit of God is doing in the moment. And this is great. Uh, John Wimber, the guy who started the vineyard, he was real into this uh, power evangelism and stuff, and the idea that God could show up at any moment and and you know reveal himself in a very powerful way to people, whether through healings or prophetic words and things like that. And and that's great. But oftentimes charismatics aren't really good at the contemplative practices. And when I mean contemplative, it's learning how to sit down and reflect over our life with God, to just get quiet. Like sometimes I believe in my time with charismatic groups, it's like you only learn how to experience God when everything is just going crazy. And then when everything dials down, you think God's not there. But really, God's in all of it. And so I talk a lot in this church, we want to merge the charismatic and the contemplative. We want to learn how to sit down and reflect over our lives, that we don't just lead lives that that are void of reflection, but that we lead lives that are thoughtful and that that we pay attention. And, you know, when I learn how to sit down, and I've been on this, this kind of contemplative journey for a few years now, when I learn how to sit down and get quiet and pay attention to my life, Every time I do it, I find that God is at work in my life in ways that I wasn't conscious of at the moment. And that's a great thing. It is. When you, when you begin to see that, man, like it seemed like God wasn't around, but now when I look back on it, man, God was in all these details. And so I want to kind of talk about this, but in order to do this, we've got to get kind of a big picture view. So today we're going to be looking at the, Acts, at the book of Acts for just kind of the big picture stuff. And I'm going to use really the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as kind of um, the starting point. In the second chapter of Acts, uh, the, the backstory story on, on Acts 2 is that Jesus has told the disciples, hey, it's good that I'm leaving you guys because instead of having an external relationship, you're going to actually get to have the same spirit that I have. Uh, and I'm going to send you the comforter and he's going to lead you into all truth and guide you in things. And he says, but I want you to go to, to Jerusalem and wait for this, the, this promised Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus didn't tell them what the Holy Spirit was going to look like when he showed up. And, and I think that's just God's sense of humor. Like, it's... You guys, it's going to blow your minds. <laughs> and so here they are. Um, Jesus has already ascended back into heaven, and they're in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit. And they're gathered in this upper room, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. They look around, and it looks like people's heads are on fire, except their skin's not burning, you know, kind of like burning bush kind of thing. And, and then people begin to speak in tongues that, that they didn't learn growing up, and they spill out into the streets. And, and they are obviously affected by the power of God to the point that the, that the people who are gathered there for the festival of Pentecost begin to look at him going, dude, you guys have been, are drunk, man. And Peter gets up, he says, look, guys, we haven't been hitting the bottle. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, all right? <laughs> this is actually the fulfillment 
of, of a prophetic word that happened in Joel. And, and, he, and he quotes Joel and he says, in, in Joel, uh, he says in Acts chapter, seven, chapter 2, verse 17, he says, uh, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. In the last days, says the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even upon your servants, your slaves, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Now, we kind of read that just like, oh, that's great. <laughs> um, it was scandalous what, what, what Peter is saying here, his explanation. He could have explained what God was doing in numerous ways, but he draws on this prophecy from Joel. And, and basically what Peter is saying here is that up to this point in Scripture, up to this point in the story, the, the, the experience of the Holy Spirit in a manifest way has been confined to a group of predominantly guys who were Jews, Jewish guys. You can read the Old Testament. It's mainly Jewish guys that are getting in on the experience of the presence of God. And God says, no, there's coming a day where I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were born a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you think you're too old to be used by God or if you think you're too young to be used by God. It doesn't matter. None of that will matter anymore. I'm pouring it. I'm I'm busting this thing wide open. Everybody gets in on it. And that's amazing. And when we read it, we're like, yes. I mean, it, it's good news for us, right? Unless you were ethnically Jew in here this morning. It's, it's pretty good for the rest of us, right? Uh, we all get to get in on it. But here's the deal. That happened in 30 AD, this amazing announcement of what God's doing. But do you realize it took nine years for anybody besides a bunch of guys to get in on it for the most part? There's a few Jewish women who got in on it. But it took nine years for them to move from this announcement that the Holy Spirit is for everyone to really moving beyond just Jewish people experiencing the presence of God. And this is kind of the backstory that, that we, we fail to see a lot, oftentimes when we read the book of Acts. I know when I read the book of Acts, I kind of expect that it's happening over a couple of years. The first 15 chapters of Acts, it takes 18 years uh, in, in what seems to happen over just a very short period of time. But, but here's what I want you to learn. And I want you to, the reason we're kind of looking at the big picture is because when you reflect over your own life, your own time, you know, I've been following God now for probably 22, 23 years. Uh, when I reflect on my own journey, I can see themes of what God's doing. I can see that, that, that there are these these themes that he's been weaving throughout my life now, but it takes reflection. So we're going to kind of reflect on this big picture today. So we're going to fast forward to the chapter, to Acts chapter 10, and this is where we first get to see the Gentiles, the people who are not ethnically Jewish, uh, get in on the presence of God. A lot of reading here, so stick with me. Acts 10 verse 1. In Caesarea there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, and was, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied to him, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now since, send some men to Joppa and summons a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner who lives near the seashore. So nine years earlier, Jesus, uh, Peter announces that the Holy Spirit's for everybody. It's taken nine years now to see this actually happen, and it starts with Gentiles. 
It starts with a guy who is not ethnically Jewish. Actually, he's working for the man. You know, the, he, he's working for the Roman government. He's like about as far away from a, a good Jew as you could get. But he, 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 he believed in God. He doesn't even say which God, but he, he, he believes in one God, and he's serving him. He doesn't, probably doesn't, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Um, and, and, and God begins moving with him first. And I want you to realize this this morning. Some people that we in the church think are very far away from God are the very ones in whom God is moving in this day, right now. Keep that in mind. Verse 7, it says, As soon as the angel was God, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Uh, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. You've ever heard that story? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? Um, I think that's true. Like, God uses that. <laughs> Peter's hungry. <laughs> he's, he's having a Homer Simpson moment, thinking about food, and all of a sudden, uh, he has this vision from God. Um, he saw the sky opened up and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But, as the voice, but the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven, and Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Peter has grown up a good Jewish boy. We often think that, that immediately when the church happened, that there was this divide between Jews and Christians. Peter and the other disciples, there's no indication that they considered themselves like separate from Jewish people. They were still going, they were still keeping Sabbath, they were still obeying the Old Testament law, they were still going about as if they were just practicing Judaism, except they believed Jesus was the Messiah. There was not a whole lot of distinction at this point. And Peter has spent his whole life not eating crawfish or bacon because it was forbidden under the Old Testament. It was, it was forbidden under the, the, the law. And all of a sudden, he has this dream. And not only does he see uh, crawfish and pigs and snakes, he, I mean, he just sees all kinds of animals that were off the menu. And God is saying, I want you to go kill some of these animals and eat them. And Peter's like, horrified. No, Lord. And for some reason, God always has to tell Peter things three times. And so uh, he does this, he repeats this vision three times. And finally, Peter is left just perplexed. Like, what did that mean? Here's the deal. Peter had been raised to read his Bible a certain way. Peter had been raised to, to view God a certain way. And now he's really perplexed because God seems to be contradicting what he's actually even said in Scripture. And this throws Peter into a place. I, I think we can all get that. It's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, let's have a little, let's have a little compassion on Peter. I mean, let's, let's not be too hard on him. I mean, if you had been raised in church your whole life to think one thing, and then all of a sudden God shows, you up and shows up and tells you something else, you would feel kind of at least in some kind of tension. And this is what's going on with Peter. But then... Um, Meanwhile, these guys from Cornelius' house, this Gentile guy, uh, they arrive. And uh, God tells Peter to go downstairs. And he goes downstairs. He says, I'm the man you're looking for. 
why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius. And they tell him all the stuff that, that Cornelius had this uh, encounter with an angel. And Peter tells them in verse 28, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man. So, sorry, Peter goes to Cornelius' house down. He says, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home and associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So, I mean, it wasn't just Jewish dietary laws. They couldn't go into a house with a Gentile. That's why it's so scandalous when we see Jesus eating with the wrong kinds of people. Like, that was a, you don't eat with the wrong crowd. You know, it's junior high lunch tables. You know, you, you hang out with your group. That's what you do. And, um, but, but it, Peter walks in, he's like, I get it. This isn't just about food. God is actually saying that, that he loves everybody, that he doesn't respect national or ethnic divisions. He doesn't respect that stuff. And so he walks into this house, but he's telling him, he's like freaking out when he's walking in here. You know, I, a good Jew doesn't walk into your house, but God is showing me something. I hadn't figured it all out right now, but Peter goes on to share the gospel with him. And I love what happens next. Then Peter, in verse 34, says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in the, every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news of the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Christ, who is Lord of all. Then he goes on, continues the gospel. And then in verse 44, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came to Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've been baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And so he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So Peter's sharing the gospel, and just what happened to him and the, the good Jewish disciples, the ones that were with Jesus on the day of Pentecost, now he sees that same thing happen with a group of people that he thought were on the margins. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's falling on them. And you gotta, you got to imagine, like in Peter's mind, this is freaking him out. Like, God, I didn't, I didn't think this could happen. And, th- and this is what gets funny. You know, in the ministry of Jesus, we see that he's always offending the Pharisees because he's, he's just hanging out with, talking to, ministering to the wrong kinds of people. Jesus invites a, a, a dreaded tax collector into his inner circle. He, he embraces the woman caught in adultery. He breaks all the, the taboos of the day by talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He touches lepers. I mean, just does the wrong thing over and over again. And now we see that that same thing is happening, but now it's the Holy Spirit doing it because the Holy Spirit acts just like Jesus. <laughs> But now instead of the Pharisees getting mad, it's the Christians. (laughs) Now the Christians have become the religious establishment, and they're going, you can't do that. These guys haven't been circumcised yet. They they, they eat pigs. You know, they they don't obey Sabbath. Why why are you doing this? And this is exactly what happens. So in Acts 11, which is 40 AD, now it's taken a year. Soon Soon... the news reached to the apostles. It's taken a year. It, it makes its way back to Jerusalem. It's before Twitter. Um, the believers in, in, in Judea and the Gentiles, the news that, they, that the Gentiles had received the word from God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jew, Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and ate with them? Like they're just, like they heard the reports of God touching them, but they're just like, you, you actually went in there and ate with them? Are you kidding me? 
And, and he's like, yeah, you know, as I began to speak, he tells them about the Holy Spirit touching them. And what we see is that, that at the same time, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. And it says that, that in Antioch, they, uh, they begin to, to teach and preach there. And uh, it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Then in Acts 13, as Saul and, 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 and Barnabas have been there for a few years now, um, among the prophets and teachers at the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, and Saul. One day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. Soon after more prayer and fasting, the men laid their hands upon them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul, Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Saul, his actual name is Paul. That's what we're familiar with. So we have, here we are probably 14 years now, 15 years after Peter's announcement about the Holy Spirit being for all. And now we're just now getting to the time where they're starting to send people out. And so they send Paul and Barnabas out to be missionaries to these heathens, these Gentiles, these people that were not Jewish. And then in Acts 15, which is a full 18 years after the day of Pentecost, it says when Paul and Barnabas arrived in Jerusalem, uh, they were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So you can see, like, this is a struggle. Like, they are not cool with this. We, we can't just follow Jesus. It has to be Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus uh, dietary laws. Jesus plus Sabbath keeping. And there's this real tension. But again, let's have some compassion on them because... If you were raised reading the Bible that way your whole life, you would, you'd, you would be feeling the exact same tension that they're feeling. So the apostles and the elders met together. This is what's called the, the um, Jerusalem Council. And at that meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them as, bro- as followers, as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. I love Peter. He's like, dude... None of us were good at following the law. Why do we want to put that stuff on other people? <laughs> you know, like, like we're acting like it was a great thing. Remember, like none of us were very good at it. And we didn't get in because we were great at following that law. We got in by the grace of God. And I love this, that, that after all this deliberation, they finally release a statement from the leaders of the church. And it says, for it seemed good to, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. 
They, they, they're, they're stuck in this big tension between the way they read the Bible, what they see God doing, the way they've been raised, uh, the moving of the Spirit beyond all these boundaries, and then finally they come down to this really interesting, simple statement because out of these three things, there's only one of these things we really even major on in the church today. We don't eat food offered to idols here in America, typically. Um, they say, hey, you know, here's three rules. Abstain from sexual immorality, don't eat things that are strangled, and don't eat food offered to idols. Like, that's all we're going to burden you with. Stay away from those things, and we think it'll be good. And I love the way that the early church even, even phrases this. Don't you love this language? It seems good to the Holy Spirit and us, you know? It's not like, like terribly authoritative. It's not like, thus saith the Lord God Almighty of hosts. It, it's like, you know, we've been wrestling with this thing for years now. We've been fasting and praying. We've been trying to discern what God is doing over the last 18 years since he announced, uh, since Peter made this amazing announcement on the day of Pentecost. We've been wrestling with what this actually looks like. And this is what it seems like. (laughs) This is us trying to make sense of this. And I love the the humility in it. It seems like this is what God's up to. This is is what it seems like. And because we're in tension right now, Sometimes it don't make sense, but this actually seems what God is doing. It's interesting at this point in the story, 18 years in, most of the Bible has not been written yet. Bible scholars believe that maybe James has been written by this point, but even the writings of Paul have not been written yet. Galatians will come first in a couple of years, and then Romans. And then we get to to, uh, many years later in Paul's life, we'll get Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, uh, you know, like 25 or 30 years later. And, and those, those books really dig into to what this stuff actually looks like. But here we are. It seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. There's a few things that I want to notice about this. That discerning the movement of God, it, it, it takes a long time. I mean, it, 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 it's not just a moment of discerning what God's doing in this moment. We need to get good at recognizing God in the moment. I've talked about that a lot. That, that the Holy Spirit, when He moves, He will look like Jesus he will, he will bear the fruit of Jesus. That's a good way we can, can learn to discern. He won't be anti-Jesus. Um, but when we, when we want to come to discernment of where are we going, we need to look over where we've been. What has God been doing? But we don't do this as individuals. We do this together. That's why I treasure so much the relationships that I have in my life. In any given week, I spend many hours just talking with other brothers and and sisters in the Lord. And we just talk about what God's doing. And there's something about as we talk to one another, there's some some wisdom that comes forth in our conversations. We begin to, to hear what God's doing in each other's lives. And we discern together. And we can, we can say like the apostles, it seems like this is what God's doing right now. And it seems good to us too, by the way. <laughs> it seems good to the Holy Spirit and it seems good to us. This also gives room for humility. You know, when I get around, I think this is one of the things that has turned me off so much when I've been around a lot of charismatic stuff is that sometimes there's just such a lack of humility, such posturing. Thus saith the Lord, this is what God's going to do. You know, God says, you marry this person, or God's going to do this. And, uh, you know, but I, I just believe that, that even in our discernment, we, we exercise humility. This is what it seems like God is doing. I don't have to fight with you about it, but this is where I see God moving. 
And this is not just based on a, a random pizza dream that I had last night. This is based on looking over what I've seen God doing for 20 years. You know, when I look at my life, I can see a trajectory. I can see a trajectory of the way God's been revealing himself to me, of the things he's been doing in my life. I can see what God's been doing in this world. I can see what he's been doing in the vineyard movement. You can see it, but you've got to sit down and get quiet and reflect. Remember your life. Remember what God's doing. You know, the church has had to do this on uh, various occasions. You know, probably one of the earliest things that the church had to wrestle through was, what books do we put in the New Testament? Uh, They weren't even calling it a New Testament. Uh, The canonization of Scripture. That happened some 300 years after uh, this stuff in Acts. I mean, it, it was very long down the road. But they had to meet together and pay attention. What do we see what do we believe God's doing? Which books do we believe God's really inspired? And, and by the way, they came up with a few different lists. There's still a few different lists. On, we, we think there's just one canon. The Orthodox Church has a canon. We got our Protestant canon over here. Actually, Martin Luther wanted to throw out about four of the books out of the Bible because he's like, ah, Revelation, is that scary? Uh, I agree. Um, <laughs> uh, but they, 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 the church had to meet together and pray and fast and pay attention to what they'd seen God doing to, to help give them wisdom on, on what, what was coming up, on, on how they could even collect these stories together. Uh, I think a more recent issue of, of, of Christians having to wrestle through on issues was, was the issue of slavery back in the 1800s. Um, I've, I've never met anybody in my life that is pro-slavery, Right? Um, like, like we have pretty much moved to a point in the church that like slavery's bad. Like that's not even an issue. That's taken off the table. There's nobody. We argue about a lot of stuff in the church, but we don't argue about slavery anymore. Like that's just settled in our world. Everybody thinks slavery's bad, for the most part. I mean, there's there's still bad people out there. But do you realize in the 1800s in America, the issue of slavery was not a black and white issue, and and there were Christians coming out both in favor of slavery and in favor of abolition. I mean, major evangelical people that we respect in the evangelical tradition, like George Whitfield, he was a a very pro-slavery guy. He was big into slavery. He had his own slaves, and he championed. And and here's the deal. You know, in the the debates about slavery, the people who were pro-slavery actually had more scriptures on their side than those who were against it. They did. It came down to how do you read the Bible? And, and, you know, I'm not proud of this, but in the Bible, there's a lot of stuff that's either can support slavery or just be ambivalent to it. And just like, you know, hey, slavery's going to happen. Uh, just try to make the best of that situation. But the Bible does not seem to be challenging the institution of slavery. Now, I would say at the same time, in the writings of Paul, it's a revolutionary thing to say that in Christ, slaves and free are are equal. I mean, I think there's some major statements that threaten slavery all throughout the New Testament and the work of Jesus. But you could find a whole lot of scriptures that were very cut and dry backing slavery. And so when the debates happened in the church in the 1800s, the pro-slavery crowd, they had more scriptures behind them to back up their position than the anti-slavery crowd. And yet... Some of the Quakers in Pennsylvania. You know, the, the people who were the biggest abolitionists were also Christians too. And I love this. 
And, and they were saying, you know, this is, it just seems like this is what God's doing. We, it seems like the Holy Spirit is into setting people free. It seems that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't want human beings to be considered property of other people. It seems that, that God really wants, that, that God has created human beings in his image and his likeness and that we need to value the humanity of people. It seems like that's what God is about. And here we are today, thankfully, that those voices won out, right? As much as I look back on the slavery issue and I'm like, you know, I'm like, how could you ever think that? I know if I'd grown up in the South in the 1800s as a white guy, chances are I would have been pro-slavery too. I mean, I probably, and I probably would have read my Bible like that. I, I watched that movie 12 Years a Slave. And, oh, it's depressing. It's horrible, hard to watch. What's hard is, what really is hard for me to watch is the way these white slave owners use the scriptures while they're beating their black slaves because they have justification from the New Testament on doing this, supposedly. What we need in our world today is people who can discern what the Spirit of God is doing. We don't need just, you know, I, I think when it comes to the issues of our day, whether Israel and Palestine, whether Ferguson, Missouri, um, just even local issues, we don't need to be people who have just knee-jerk reactions based on our politics or how we grew up or our culture or even maybe the, the, the reading of Scripture that we've grown up with. We need to be people who are thoughtful, who reflect on what God's doing, who pay attention to the work of God and say, God, where are you actually moving, even if it may offend me with the answer I get? Oh, don't go there, Pastor. I mean, really. I, I got to tell you, like, I'm scared of preaching this Sermon on the Mount stuff because it threatens me. It threatens me. <laughs> you know, I, when I look at stuff in the world, I am prone to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, and I say, just blow them off the face of this earth. It's like, that's my default. And I know if I'm going to take the teachings of Jesus seriously, they're going to threaten me. <laughs> They're going to threaten the way that I naturally think. We have to be open to what God's doing, even if it threatens some of our ideas of what we think God is like. So this morning, we're going to close with an exercise. Why don't you, uh, Mike is going to pass out, uh, we're going to have a couple people pass out some uh, index cards and a pen. And, and I just want us to practice a little time of reflection here. Um, ideally, we could spend 30 minutes doing this. We're just going to do a, a very concise time. I don't want you to put your names on these cards. I just want you to put your answers to the questions. I put the questions on, on your outline at the bottom. And I want us to start off with our own journeys. We're looking for big picture here. This is not like individual... Uh, details in our life about what God's done. But when you look over your life, what are some of the main phrases of what he's doing that have popped into your mind? You know, I can look over my life and I really feel like God has, has, has one of the main things he's shown me in my life is love. Uh, he, he is, he's revealed his love to me. Um, reflect over that question first. Then we're going to reflect over the second question. What has God been doing in this church? For some of you who've been here two weeks, uh, your answer will be very short. Uh, 
Some of you have been here for a few years. It's probably a better question for you. But then finally, I want us to turn our attention to the last question on the page. When we look at the events in the world, what do we sense when we look at Jesus and his teaching, when we look at what the Spirit of God is doing in our own life and in this church, where do we sense that the Spirit of God might be moving? And just write those down. You don't have to have a, a, a terribly detailed answer, but we're just going to take a few moments to get quiet and reflect. So let's take two minutes to reflect over our own lives and answer that question. Writing here in just a moment. Um, one thing I want to say is this discernment process the people who had the, the least issue moving with what the Spirit of God was doing were those who were relationally connected with outsiders. Yeah? Um, I think when we look at... What's that? Alzheimer's. Outsiders. <laughs> you know, I, I think it is so easy when we look at... The, the issue in Ferguson, Missouri, um, particularly as the majority in here, you know, middle class, upper middle class, white folks, the, our, our tendency is to have a knee-jerk reaction that's based on our experience of the world, our experience of what reality is. Um, I would say if, if it's hard for you to discern what you think God is doing concerning race relations in this country... Why don't you go out of your way to try to make some friends with some people of another race? I mean, sincerely, take some steps. Find some people that are different. Hear their story. If your issue is you got a problem with the police and what they're doing, why don't you make some friends with some police? I've had some conversations with some black friends of mine and some police officers concerning this issue. And, and, and they've, brought, they've, they've helped me pay attention to what I think the Spirit of God's actually doing. Because really, when we come to discerning what God is doing in people, we have to be relationally connected. That's why I keep saying over and over, we can't divorce the work of the Holy Spirit from the incarnation of Christ. If we're unwilling to step into the world of others who are different than us, whether Muslims or Jews or people, uh, or, or, or blacks or police officers or, or, or people who uh, have different politics or whatever, if we're unable to actually make friends and listen to them, then we're not really going to per- perceive what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in other people's lives. So I would say um, this reflection exercise, we can fr- reflect in a way, but, but if you really want to get a sense of what God is doing in other people, it takes, it takes getting uncomfortable. It takes, getting to, it takes sitting down and having dinner. It takes putting yourself in a place like Peter where I'm fixing to walk into to ha- somebody's house and, and my Bible's told me I shouldn't do this. <laughs> you know, I've been raised to believe I can't walk in the door of a Gentile's house uh, and eat dinner with them. This is scandalous. But I believe if we're going to take God seriously, if we're really going to learn to be people... And you know, guys, our world needs people who have the wisdom of God right now. When we look at the book of Acts, our temptation is to to see it as spontaneous acts of God. But do you see the wisdom of Acts right here? Do you see the wisdom of the Spirit of God right here? It took them 18 years to get to this place. But do you see the wisdom of the Spirit of God? It's not sexy. It's not flashy. (laughs) It seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. Our world needs people who can say, this seems like what God's doing, and we're willing to go with what the Spirit is doing right now, whether in the Middle East, whether in Ferguson, Missouri, whether in Covington, Louisiana.
whatever the issues our world is presenting us with today. All right, I've said enough about that. We've got to pick up some kids in the back um, because we love kids, but we also love those who work with them. So <laughs> why don't you stand up? I'm just going to pray a blessing over us this morning. And if you haven't finished your uh, card on what you see God doing, you can stick around and finish that. Please visit the, our offering boxes and, and fold those up and just slide it in the slot. I think it'll fit uh, if you fold it up enough. Lord, I pray you'd bless this group of people here today, all of us, with your wisdom. Help us to be people who uh, are not led by knee-jerk reactions and impulses, but people who are thoughtful, people who see what you're doing and go with what you're doing and saying. Lord, help us to listen to, 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 to what you're saying in, in, in our own community of faith here and even in the lives of outsiders. God, just help us to be people that, that, that have that wisdom, God. In Jesus' name, amen.